The What Matters in EdTech series is produced by the EdTech Podcast and supported by BET. For anyone who doesn't know, BET is the first industry show of the year in the education technology landscape, bringing together over 800 leading companies, 103 exciting new EdTech startups, and over 34,000 attendees. People from over 146 countries in the global education community come together to celebrate, find inspiration, and discuss the future of education, as well as seeing how technology and innovation enable educators and learners to thrive. The BET 2020 seminar programme is CPD accredited and provides over 300 hours of workshops, talks and discussions addressing issues around SEND and inclusion, future tech and trends, well-being, innovation, skills and empowering teaching and learning. In fact, all the areas this podcast series covers across six episodes. To find out more and to register for free, go to www.betshow.com. It's, we all talk about resilience. It's constantly mentioned in wellbeing circles. Um, mm. But I really, really promote acceptance as well. I'm in schools practically every week working with SLT up and down the country. And I'm really privileged to hear firsthand uh, the real problems that they're facing in schools. That's probably the biggest thing that you can do for teachers' wellbeing is give them the time and the confidence to do their job. Hello everyone and welcome to this third episode in our series, What Matters in EdTech, supported by BET. This series is all about the things that matter in education and how and when tech might help. Over our six episodes, we will be looking at themes that shape BET's conference programme in 2020, namely well-being, innovation, empowering teaching and learning, skills and past episodes, including SEND and future tech and trends. We'd love to hear from you. Tweet us using the hashtag EdTechPodcast and BET2020. This week's episode is all about well-being. Released this year, the Teacher Wellbeing Index 2019 highlighted stress and rising mental health issues across the sector. According to the index, 78% of all education professionals have experienced either behavioural, psychological or physical symptoms due to their work, with 60% not feeling confident that they could talk about mental health issues with their colleagues. In this episode, I speak to a range of school leaders and teachers, wellbeing experts and coaches about what can and is being done to support an everyday approach to self, student and staff care. Stick around to the end when our guests share a whole bunch of resources and good reads on the subject of wellbeing, which we'll also post up to our show notes page. Okay, time to get to know our guests before we dig into our first question. Um, so, as, as you said, my name's Ben Cummins, and I'm an interim executive head teacher. Um, so, I'm responsible for, for three schools and one children's centre. And my day-to-day uh, uh, job really is sort of the strategic side of it, um, looking at the schools um, and how we could work better together, um, new initiatives, uh, new ideas. Um, working with teachers, with the pupils, with families, um, and having a real focus on on really being the best we can we can possibly be. 
Um, we put well-being at the heart of everything that we do. Um, and the reason that we've done that is because I'm a, a big believer that our well-being and our, our mental health will fluctuate. Um, mm. We will have mental health and that, at points our mental health will be positive and at different points it will be negative. And the only way we can we can fully reach our potential is by making sure that our, our well-being and our mental health um, is in a good place. I can't ask a teacher to stand in front of a class of 30 pupils and and deliver to the best of their ability if I'm not making sure that their well-being is where it should be um, because then that's infectious and, and they will make sure that the pupil's well-being is where it should be now. Mm. By doing this, it's there, there were a few different pronged approaches and and that involves looking at structures. That involves looking at the education system that we currently we currently work within, um, and looking within as well at, at people we've got the skills, breaking down those stigmas, um, and and saying it's it's okay not to be okay, and creating that a culture and an environment where um, I had an open door policy uh, for parents, students, and staff, um, where it just starts with a conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and making sure that the pressures that are on us in, in terms of accountability, that they weren't um, a priority. Um, and please don't get me wrong, um, uh, quality teaching is and learning is, is at the forefront of what we do. However, I can't expect that to happen if, if we've not looked after each other's well-being. So for me, well-being in in an educational uh, system really does have to be at the forefront of, of everything we do. Um, I'm delighted to have Maria Brosnan, uh, who is co-founder at Striver on the line. So welcome, Maria. Hi, thank you, Sophie. Thanks very much for being here. Um, before we start, please could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. Well, you mentioned that uh, that I'm co-founder of Striver, which I was, and, and Striver is uh, a sport and PE and wellness program for primary schools that's now been brilliantly redeveloped and uh, redistributed by Too Simple. Um, I'm also a wellbeing consultant and leadership trainer and coach, and I'm in schools practically every week working with SLT up and down the country, and I'm really privileged to hear firsthand uh, the real problems that they're facing in schools. And even though their problems might be personal, they're certainly not unique. There's definitely themes mm. that, that are emerging. So um, delighted to be on the line with Hannah Wilson. Um, for those who don't know, Hannah is the head of secondary school teacher training at the University of Buckingham. Uh, but prior to this role, Hannah was the executive head teacher of Aureus School and Aureus Primary School. And as the founding head teacher of two startup schools, Hannah's innovative leadership style and focus on a holistic education has led to collaborations with a number of national organisations, including Place to Be, The Art Room, VBE and SSAT. And she's also very well known as a co-founder of Women Ed, a network to support women in all forms of leadership in education. So welcome, Hannah. Welcome, also welcome, hi, sorry. Yeah, 
It's like when someone says uh, happy birthday to you and you say uh, happy birthday to you as well. <laughs> Brain <laughs> like gay shit this morning, sorry. Don't worry, same here. Um, we're being very ambitious with a nine o'clock recording, so uh, that's all good. So I'm the head teacher of Devonport High School for Boys. It is a 11 to 18 secondary school in Plymouth. Um, we obviously by the name it sounds like we have boys, which we do, but we also have girls within the sixth form. And uh, we are a, an academy school since 2011, and we um, serve, I guess, young people and families from all over Devon and Cornwall. So some of our students come from within Plymouth, the city, but we also cover such a wide area, such as as far as Exeter and as far down into Cornwall as uh, Truro. Uh, we, we take you know, well-being very seriously. I would say the last uh, four years in particular during my time here as head teacher that we've really put a value and emphasis on well-being. So that's for our students, uh, our staff and our community. Um, so we've, we've developed various initiatives and, and um, projects really around promoting and, and improving well-being for, for all our community. And last but not least, it's Dawn Hallibone. So, um, teacher predominantly um taught for 23 years in junior schools across east london um deputy head acting head with a real focus on mental health and well-being which at the time when i became deputy head is now nearly seven years ago there wasn't the focus that we have now Mm. so really finding out key partners and organizations to work with then Um, and then i left school two years ago and joined london good for learning where I worked for two years as an educational consultant. And then I joined Too Simple a month ago, same job title, educational consultant, and with a focus on well-being. So we have a few well-being products within the portfolio, and it's really helping teachers engage and using EdTech to help with the workload as well. Now we know our guests a bit better, it's time to dive in at the deep end. Is the education system compatible with student and staff well-being? For those who are listening to this episode shouting no or it's behind you, oh sorry, getting a bit carried away there, uh, there are lots of positive ideas for change among our guests' answers, so let's listen in. I mean, if we take it back one one step and if we think about uh, the education system and, and, and well-being as, as a whole. Um, we're, we want to create a culture in the school that promotes well-being for its students and its staff. And I would argue that the, the current educational climate is contradictory to mm. being able to do this. Um, we work within a system where schools are subject to performance measures, being ranked to levels of student attainment, um, and that informs the public narrative. Um, <clears throat> and then you end up with terms such as um, failing schools and, or to the other extreme, outstanding schools. This puts a real pressure on, on leaders. This puts a real pressure on teachers. And I've, I've known um, head teachers and I've known teachers to leave the profession or have been asked to leave the profession because the results aren't good enough. Now, that... That's difficult, and that's difficult in as much as, like I said, this league table provides that narrative, and because of parental choice, if you're undersubscribed, you're financially in trouble, especially with the cuts that are happening in, in education. So that's it from, uh, 
from a leaders and a head teacher's point of view to the fact where actually you will lose your job if, it's, if, if the attainment isn't good enough. But from a student's point of view, um, I've known schools to not allow students to, to sit an exam that they have a love for and if not allow them to sit the exam because they won't get the required pass mark. And in reflection to that, when you think about this, is we're telling we're telling students, okay, you love that subject, you got a real interest in it, real enjoyment in it, but we're not going to let you do it. We're going to make that choice for you. Hmm. You can't do that because you're not going to get the required grade. That's not well-being, and that that is putting results before the well-being of of pupils, well-being of of staff, because we're in a, in a system that's rife with accountability. And this accountability, will, will, it promotes fixed mindsets mm. for individuals because we're, we're focusing on, the, on their results and not their, their efforts. And I think leaders can be forgiven for having those fixed mindsets because the stakes are so high. But those stakes being so high um, are just totally against what we should be doing for, for the pupils, the students, their families and the teachers. This morning, Gavin Williamson mentioned that government has saved five hours of teachers' workload a week. I'd be interested to know what those five hours were and that there's going to be 10 million invested into Ofsted with the bringing back of no-notice inspections as well, all of which didn't fill me with hope for teachers' workload and well-being. Mm. Although schools, for schools, Ofsted shouldn't be the driver. Sadly, very often it is. I mean, if we just look at the current deep dives into subjects, you know, Deep dive is now the big word or the terrible word mm. that Ofsted look at um, and the stresses that can place on them. And as a mother of two teenagers who are in the exam system, one's doing her A-levels next year. She was the first one to go through the new nine to one system and another one in year 10, just the content that they've got to cover and testing. I mean, both their schools, I have to say, are really good, but you know, they know that they have to pass these things in order if they want to go on with further education. Mm-hmm. And the schools themselves need the scores because that's what ultimately they're judged on as well. I mean, it's interesting because the assessment, the assessment side of thing comes up a lot around uh, well-being. Um, from your side, what changes would you love to see um, to improve staff and student well-being? I think from the assessment, and there's definitely been moves in some schools, is the number of data drops they do. Right. Um, So they're not asking staff to do a data drop every month or six times a year. And there was a report out this week that looked at the fact that those schools in disadvantaged areas were doing more data drops than the schools that were in more advantaged or had a better Ofsted grade, let's say. And I think for staff, you know, if you're covering, say, English or maths in the school and you've got a GCSE and an A-level... They're absolutely to the brim at the moment, marking mocks and inputting all those assessment data. So from the staff wellbeing, it's looking at the data. And actually, yes, data is very important, but what data are you collecting and for what reason? Is it just to fill out a spreadsheet? In which case, that's not doing anyone any favours. And it's being clear as a senior leader, asking your staff why they're doing it and what the purpose is for. Yeah, it's. Um, I'd say it's the the accountability and the pressures of the job are, are, are huge. Um, yeah, I mean, education. You know, everybody has something to say about it. Everybody has a, a demand on on it. 
I guess rightly so in many respects parents should be able to hold the school to account um, I guess what a lot of school leaders may feel that we've slightly gone too far um, I mean my I see my job as the leader of the school to protect my community and to shield them from a lot of that um, that that sort of challenge and that um, that pressure and then I've then also got to handle that myself so it's um, I think it's it's an extremely challenging job um, I think lots of heads have informal and more formal networks of support uh, for each other um, and we certainly look out for each other in, in many different ways and um, I think what can also help is the sort of governance of the school mm. so a school leader should you know, have the right challenge and support from the uh, from the governors um, that help to, to you know to help to sort of navigate some of those challenges and the, those pressures. So there's there's a, a lot of support out there, and I think also, as I said earlier, I think uh, you know a head should lead by example. So you know I work very long hours, but I also ensure that I tell my staff or you know in conversations when we're talking about things that I'm doing as in you know, for, for my work-life balance or things that yeah. I go and do to show that I'm not just working all the time um, in the hope that that also as we're talking about personal things and their hobbies interests that encourage them to gives them the sort of encouragement to continue to have that work-life balance. I think a lot of school leaders are are in the style of servant leaders and everything they do is for their community and um, be that the children or the parents or the carers or the staff like and I do think that element of self-care gets squeezed when you're a school leader. And the more senior you get, the more responsibility and accountability you have. And there's, there's an expression about putting on your own oxygen mask first and like attending to yourself first. But, but the reality is schools are really frenetic, intense environments. And it is your well-being that tends to go. And like you tend to cover duties when people are ill and, and cover lessons when people are ill. And, and, and your time and energy then gets squeezed. And, like just watching Twitter at this time of year, everyone's ill, everyone's mm. off, people are getting home late at night. Like just the diaries of schools. We made a pledge that we wouldn't have more than one late night per week. And we unpicked the diary that we'd never have a parents' evening and a recital in the same week. But some school leaders this week have been at school to like nine, ten every night. Yeah. I just kind of think you're, 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 it's that depleted bottle of energy and, um, and health. So I, I do think it's something we need to think about. Um, I've done a lot of work with Viv Grant, who runs Integrity Coaching, and she does um, a piece around coaching head teachers. There's a, lot, there's a lot of head teacher coaches out there, but she's done some really interesting work on coaching um, head teachers and runs a conference every year. And just that giving time and reflection and space for yourself, um, I think, is really important. And then the fallout of it is that we've got a lot of heads being moved on very quickly, um, heads taking on very precarious roles, very um, fragile schools. And not really being given the support or the time to properly um, embed like long-standing change, and just the number of heads who are being broken by the system at the moment. And when we've got a massive recruitment retention issue for teachers, and a recruitment and retention issues, uh, issue for head teachers, I just think that we're at that kind of breaking point. But I really think we we'll need to take take stock and pause and reevaluate and 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 just strip back and and make sure we are focusing on. On the right things. Maria looks at what factors are within our control to change. Of course there are an awful lot of areas where it's not working well for students or staff and I think a better question might be what can we do 
to mm. make the education system more compatible for, for the well-being of both students and staff. Because I think in other caring professions with high levels of stress, such as first responders, for example, staff are trained in the tools they need to skillfully handle the, the stresses of their day-to-day work. And, and teachers just are not taught those skills. And especially as you get into more responsible leadership roles and right up to uh, senior leadership roles, um, it's increasingly difficult to, to juggle all of the complex um, uh, things that you need to handle in schools. And so I think by teaching people these tools, how to manage their stress uh, makes a massive difference to, to what's happening for students and staff in schools. And we spoke before a little bit about, you know, this um need sometimes and perhaps it's part of the culture uh within some schools of taking everything upon yourself um and and wanting to get everything you know completed to the highest standard which is absolutely understandable um but part of it also has to be about sort of delegation or or just saying you know enough is enough exactly and that's a problem i see so much in schools where um where people are so you know, and I, I think it comes from an extremely kind place where people genuinely want to help, but I think they tend to take on more than they can handle themselves. And and so one of the strategies we teach is is how to set healthy boundaries. And and I really want to be clear that it's not to be difficult, it's not to be, you know, obstructive, but it's how to set healthy boundaries that mean that you can manage your workload and and do the work that you need to in school. I was talking to a head of learning, actually, and all day she spent in in meetings or doing different things to support the the other members of staff and all of the work that she had to do, she did at home in the evening. Mm -hmm. So she said she got absolutely none of her work done during her working day. And, of course, that's unsustainable. She's working till 11 o'clock or midnight every night up at six o'clock every day to be in work by seven um it's completely unsustainable and that's why so many teachers are experiencing um very high levels of of stress and the symptoms the terrible symptoms of stress and leaving the profession in droves because Mm. the, the the workload is unsustainable but there are there are certainly strategies you can use to to manage uh manage your workload and and to to set healthy boundaries I have so been there in in, yeah. in the kind of meeting overload and, and it took me a while, yeah. but then you do learn, okay, the only way I'm going to get stuff done is if I start saying, I'm, I'm just not coming to this meeting because it's not relevant. And exactly. Yeah. And, and one, of the, one of the common things I see in school a lot is, um, is the question, um, have you got two minutes? Mm. The answer to that inevitably is, yeah, yeah, sure, what do you need? And, and that two minutes is never two minutes, of course. It's 20 minutes or half an hour or an hour. And the work or, or what you were planning to do in that time is is completely sidelined. And there, there, there's a very simple um, answer to that is I can give you one minute right now or 15 minutes, four o'clock on Thursday, where we can really look at this properly. What what would what what would work best? And and I think just creating those healthy boundaries where you don't always have to say, Yes, how can I help? It's not that difficult to just I sort those things out, but I think yeah. I think um, so many teachers have difficulty 
being seen not to be kind. Mm. It's the word that I hear again and again when we're doing training in schools. Um, I couldn't possibly say that because people would think, oh, it's mean. I'm saying it's not mean. It's just taking care of yourself and mm. making sure that you, it's not mean, it's clear. That's what I really say a lot. <laughs> it's, a, it's a mantra. It's not mean, it's clear. But among the realities of everything that falls under the banner well-being are some very deep-rooted and long-lasting issues. Maria talks more about this spectrum of well-being and how to avoid top-level initiatives only. Well, what I see mostly in schools is there tends to be a kind of yoga and yogurt attitude to well-being. Mm. And, and what I mean by that is that there's uh, a lot of well-meaning initiatives that are dealing very well-meaningly with the symptoms of stress, that they're not really addressing the underlying causes. And, and stress is, is a very physiological um, mm. thing that's happening in people. So what, what we seek to do is to actually deal with the root cause rather than the symptoms. It's, it's such a can of worms, isn't it? Because sometimes that goes uh, very deep into, you know, people's personal history and, Absolutely. Um, you know, trying to deal with some of those deep-rooted issues whilst also in a like quite frenetic and day-to-day environment Mm. Um, I can't even begin to imagine you know how people go about that as well I know I know and and it's it's an incredibly complex um, set of problems because of course you bring yourself to your work don't you Mm. and and if you've got Mm. if you've got things happening in your personal life that are causing you um you know, personal challenges, you, you you can't ignore those. So what are some of the initiatives, tools and strategies which are making a difference? Building a culture of trust, being confident in personal boundary setting and creating proactive support groups all seem to have a place. And so, you know, if we were to flip that and then say, OK, what, you know, if you could change anything and, and focus on those right things, you know, how would that look differently to you? I think every head teacher needs a coach. Um, it's just like every DSL needs a supervisor. Like we need to invest in that, creating the space and the time and the support mechanisms because the the intensity and the responsibilities that some of those senior leaders have, like when you are responsible for the safe body of the whole school or when you are responsible for the whole school community, you can't even preempt some of those things that are going to happen. Like just dealing with bereavements and trauma and accidents and staff illness, like, Every, every week, every half term, there's something being thrown at you as a kind of a, a blindsided thing you, you, you can't really prepare for. Um, and I think that piece around like, resilience, like we, we need to be super resilient in society these days and in schools these days. I think as school leaders, just the amount of resilience and tenacity you need to be constantly firefighting. So I, so I do think that entitlement for support is key. Um, other things, I think, like with, with budget cuts, we've got staffing um, being reduced and leadership teams being reduced. I think that's just not fair either because you've got, you've got less people doing more for the same money. Um, so I think it's about stepping back sometimes and seeing the bigger picture and, and, and focusing the time and energy and the resources on, on the right things. So a few years ago, we started a wellbeing group and one of the things they decided that we needed to look at was emails. 
so we had a long conversation around that about a year or so actually before we came up with some specific plans I guess things about what the school's expectations were to staff around their emails yeah which we made clear and did that in a way some tips around how you handle emails so things around you know that okay there's no expectation to reply immediately yeah um, but actually what we, we moved towards was that actually everybody works in different ways. So it wouldn't work for us to to basically switch off emails because some people need to work outside of those hours to work and that's how they would work best. Also, some people would like to clear emails before they come in in the morning. Yeah. Um, if, they would, if we were to switch on the servers or whatever or turn the emails on at 9 o'clock and they get a... You know, deluge, that's deluge, quite stressful as well. That they wouldn't like that. Yeah. So everybody works differently. So what we said was there shouldn't be an expectation on another person to respond to an email at a weekend. And we all work in different ways, but we all need to be considerate of others in in the use of email. But actually it becomes to the individual. So some people had their emails on their phone. So I, I said as the leader that I have no expectation that you have your emails on your phone. And in fact, I would actually encourage you to turn them off when you're not working because otherwise you're going to you'll get the notifications, you'll be, mm. you'll feel like you want to. So to try and take control of yourself, turn them off. At the same time, you might also want them on when you're standing in a queue in Sainsbury's and you want to clear a, a few. Bit, and that's, yeah. So it's got to be down to the individual what they, how they want to work and how, how they want to, yeah, to use that and utilise that. Yeah, absolutely. So sort of like mental health and wellbeing being like one kind of like suite. I think we've got a situation in the country in schools where those things have been quite reactive in the past and you tend to fix well-being and fix mental health when something goes wrong when there's a crisis or when there's a poor offset or just just something triggers it as opposed to flipping it and being sort of like proactive and preemptive so when we um started recruiting the senior leaders of a, of a startup school we spent a lot of time thinking and talking and planning about the culture of the school um and we and we made the decision to put well-being as one of our 12 school values which puts a spotlight on it and puts it under scrutiny but we wanted to make that commitment in the school that it was every single person's entitlement and right within our school to seek well-being um and then we and then we made decisions around the structure of the school day and the systems of the school day and and sort of like drilled down to all those different factors that create stress and mental ill health in schools so so things like um, having a hot meal every day and staff getting a free meal, things like having a staff well-being room rather than a staff room, so no phones, no computers, no work, just a safe space to go to, um, creating safe spaces for the children. So between having, a, having a big empty school with only one year group in, we did partnership work with um, Place to Be, with Art Room, we had an Art Therapy Room, we had a Thrive Room, we had a Sensory Room. So really thinking about the needs of our community and creating those spaces and those programs and we flipped the school day we, we had mindfulness at the start of every day so every child started their day mindfully and then could go into lessons the idea was in a more focused sort of like um settled way and then we had our pastoral care at the end of the day so before they went home we could address some of those issues from the school day so just really like we didn't we didn't consciously innovate and disrupt and we got some pushback on like we were really sort of like trying to flip the system. We just, we just made some pragmatic common sense choices that we felt individually would make difference, but actually collectively would make a bigger difference. Yeah. But the, yeah. the fallout is when you badge yourself and brand yourself as a school who has a whole school commitment to mental health and wellbeing, 
you you do by default then attract a lot more vulnerable children. So we were a small team and we had a small budget and we had a, a highly vulnerable, I'd say a highly volatile year group where we spoke to, I guess, those families who knew their child needed a different kind of system, a yeah. different kind of setup. But we ended up then having a disproportionate number of children with SEN, with mental health issues. We had multiple children on suicide watch, for example, in year seven. So I think by by leading with our values, you you attract those families who absolutely see what you're doing, why you're doing it, and want to be part of it. But you, you do end up with this kind of like warped, warped balance. And the same with staff. I mean, I've always been involved in HR as an assistant head and a deputy head, but but our school was a bit of a, I don't know, candle in the dark, I guess, a kind of a beacon for we were trying to do things differently. And with all the press of teachers and educators, like literally leaving the system quicker than they join, <laughs> and so many qualified teachers who aren't working in our schools, we did have a number of educators who joined us and it was their last try. It was their last sort of like try. It was the last school they were prepared to work at to see if the, they could find a school that resonated with them. Otherwise, they were going to leave the system. So that came with it also. Staff with, do I say it, kind of like baggage. Like they'd, they'd, been, they'd had sort of like situations in their careers that we had to be really mindful of mm. um, because there were things that would trigger them and they had their own trauma to deal with. So they were all very committed to the, kind of the, the mission and, and the shared vision. But we had to also make sure we were looking after the staff welfare in order to look after the children's well-being. Yeah, yeah. So it comes with additional time and support needed, as you mentioned at the beginning. Yeah, additional pressures. I just think you end up with a higher, a higher level of need, I guess, because because you are making that commitment to do sake about it. You end up with more people needing that support, I guess. I think prioritising uh, your own things that you love and that you enjoy, even if you make a little bit of time in your day or your week for them. And I know, you know, so many teachers have got families of their own and, and when they get home from work, they've got, they've got their own, you know, pressures to help their own children with homework or, or clubs or whatever. So, you know, many, many teachers don't have uh, the luxury of a lot of time, but, um, but the ones that are doing best really just find time to, to go for a run or play tennis or find some time to do whatever it is that they love and that just makes the most massive difference to people's well-being and, and making meaning in your life. Yes, um, it's, it's, this is, uh, I mentioned a line before about being um, proactive and, and, and not reactive and it's very much um, the strap line I've used with, within my schools. Um, and the reason why is because I can sit here and say these are the difficulties, but mm. what am I doing about them? So the one of the first things that uh, we did is we looked at a growth, a growth mindset and we spoke about rewarding efforts um, because this in turn will, will support resilience because the focus is on effort and not results. And not a comparison against the person sitting next to you, but that drive and desire within you to want to achieve more. Um, I mean, after all, we're currently preparing children for jobs that, that don't exist. So this resilience is, is, is key to that. Um, the mental health first aid training really helped me think about my own structures. And through that, we created an open door policy. Now, this open door policy meant 
simple things such as me being on the playground every morning and every afternoon so that I can speak to parents, I speak mm. to students, so that there's always that open dialogue because I don't want a parent going home worrying about something and uh, it escalating because they've kept it to themselves for two to three days. And what I want to be able to do, again, be proactive, not reactive in supporting parents. I needed to be able to signpost for future help and support. And that's where the mental health first day training was, was uh, extremely helpful. I turned within and looked at structures. And we have used in the past, um, and we still use educational psychologists, but we've used them in the past for, in particular, families. And it would take a ed psych six weeks to get to know a family, um, that family may stop working with them after two weeks because uh, trust is a big issue. Mm. Um, so what we looked at ourselves is actually, can we train somebody up as a cognitive behaviour therapist within the school? Mm. Oh. Um, for that, I turned to my high-level teaching assistants, not not my teachers, um, because uh, high-level teaching assistants tend to, tend to stay at school for longer periods of time. And we now have a full-time cognitive behaviour therapist in the school. Now, even within structures, because I'm now making less outside referrals, the costs for the school have gone down. And yet I have a cognitive behavior therapist in the school all the time. This has led to me thinking about, well, what about those hard to reach pupils and uh, parents that, that may not engage? They're the ones who really want to engage. So we have displays with talk to me stickers. So pupils will pick up a sticker and they'll hand it to a teacher or they'll stick it in their book. And that means that actually they want some time with us. They can self-refer to what we call a snug. It's an area where, where you can go during break and lunchtime. Um, parents can make referrals. Outside agencies make referrals to our snug um, <clears throat> so that we can give a full package of support um, uh, uh, to the pupils. The same applies for teachers. Um, I've not had a single teacher who hasn't come to me and said that this is going on in my life right now mm. um, and this is concerns it's causing me. So for that reason, I'm able to support, help, understand. Um, this, we wear badges that say, I'm a mental health first aider, Ada, talk to me. So parents know that um, we have that open door policy as well. Some of the structures, some of the knock-on effects this has, hap has happened is we have very uh, low turnover of staff. Um, we put out a job advert for two teachers um, this June. We had 82 applicants for two <laughs> teachers. Now, again, that's one of the benefits that has happened for this, and it's because uh, we're out there talking about well-being. Our staff are content. They're out there talking about well-being, and because this whole approach has created a culture within the school and within the community, um, that this is a, a place where I want to work. This is a place where I want my children to go. Um, it's attracted the attention of, of teachers who want to work within these within this as well. Um, and one of the things that I think is really, really important as well is we all talk about resilience. It's constantly mentioned in wellbeing circles. Um, mm. But I really, really promote acceptance as well. As professionals, especially in the teaching profession, we want to help. We want to change the world. We want to make a difference. But sometimes we can't. Sometimes things are just the way they are. And no matter how hard we try, we can't change it. And I, and I say uh, to students and I say to, to parents and teachers, if you've given 100%, you need to accept 
where it's at and not go home, not worry about it, try not to worry about it. And that's, that's a real hard mindset to get into um, because you want to be able to change it, but sometimes you can't, so accept it. It is how it is. Um, and that, that, for my own personal uh, sleeping habits, that's, that's really helped me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's so the voice of common sense, isn't it? It's, it's because, you know, you can just burn out if, if, if you're kind of constantly sort of rallying to, to, to do the best thing. And then, uh, you know, for whatever reasons, it doesn't happen. It can be hugely yeah. frustrating, I'm sure. And yeah, actually, at some point you have to say, you know what, I've done enough. And that's that's my day. I've, I've finished my day now. Otherwise, yeah. it will just be, you know, it goes on forever. Yeah, it, it really does. It's, um, and that's where, where when we think about self-care and how we look after our own selves, that's, that's so important, finding time to do things that you love. Um, I ask, and, and, and I do do some long days. I'm, I'm saying this to you now, and I, I did a 17-hour day yesterday. But today, I'm at home working from home, and I'm working from home because I recognise that I needed to find time. So I will do some work, but I'm going to go and play tennis soon. Um, yeah. and see, you shouldn't have to apologize for that because it's part no. of human <clears throat> yeah um because i asked myself the question do you do you live to work or do you work to live um so it's getting that balance right it's having that acceptance that yes you will have great successes along the way but there are some things you can't change and having that growth mindset of giving a hundred percent effort is what we want it's not about the results. It's about the love for what you're doing and the enjoyment in what you're doing. And that through life, we will have ups and downs and it's okay not to be okay. And that we will know how to signpost support and be there for each other. And I think for me, um, that's, that's what I've, I've tried to achieve within it, within my schools in a nutshell. Um, because by doing that, we're giving the children a level playing field. We're giving them a real opportunity to, to thrive and succeed because we're giving them the, the skills and the, and the mindset to, to go on and achieve in later life. That's fantastic. I feel, I feel inspired listening to you. <laughs> no, thank you. No, it's, it's, easy to, it's easy to talk about if it's something mm. that you, you, you wholeheartedly believe in and and we've seen the results from it. We are a really, really high achieving school and we're a high achieving school in an area where others don't achieve as well. And some do, but it's because we've tried to create that level playing field. We've got teachers who, who, who want to stay and fantastic team. Um, and this has been led through, again, teaching and learning is at the forefront of everything we do, but equally important is the well-being of each and every single family in, in our school and in our community. Asking questions can help to frame what is important and how to carve out time. Say so a big issue in schools at the moment is around workload. And I think um, many people consider an, uh, uh, a heavy workload to, to be a major contributor to their, to their stress and poor mental health. And so I would suggest these series of five questions. And so the first question is, what is the outcome we're trying to achieve? So if you're looking, say, at marking, because that's a big factor in, uh, in workload. So if you're looking at marking, what's the outcome we're trying to achieve? And it could be uh, 
what we want to see. All of our students work marked in accordance with our marking policy with correct colour-coded pens, or it could be that we want to make sure that every single pupil is making the best progress that they can make. So depending on how you define your outcome very much determines um, what you focus on. So anyway, that's the first question. What's the outcome we're trying to achieve? The second question is, do we really need to do this thing that we're currently doing? So it, it, again, back to marking, do we need to mark a full colour pen? I think that's gone by the by now, but that was certainly a thing that many teachers were doing. The third question is, what are the constraints that we're currently facing? So is it, um, is it legislation? Is it Ofsted? Is it, is it the skill set of the people that, that are um, dealing with this particular subject? Is it time? Is it money? So what are the constraints that we're dealing with? Fourth, the fourth question is what can we do within these constraints to deliver the outcome we need to deliver? And this is where, you, the, where innovation happens. And the final question is to ask yourself, is there a better alternative to what we're currently doing? One of the ways I like to look at this is, have you heard of Viktor Frankl? He was a, a psychiatrist in Vienna in the time of the Second World War, and he wrote a very famous book called Man's Search for Meaning. And um, he was in Auschwitz for most of the Second World War, hmm. but he survived that and he went on to have um, a very influential and successful career as a psychiatrist. But towards the end of his life, he was interviewed and he said most of the problems that he'd seen in the thousands and thousands of patients that he'd, he'd seen, most of their problems are not mental they're human and that's my personal approach to this mm. so how can we help if you've got a you know if you think of a deputy head or a head of department and and they might have two young kids at home in primary school they might have a partner that travels a lot for work so they've got to kind of pick up a lot of the, uh, the household um, tasks they might have parents that are aging or they might be sick that live hundreds of miles away uh, and and they've taken on this big new role and they've got a lot of responsibility in school. And so all of these things are kind of adding up in this person's life and, and they might be starting to exhibit real, real symptoms of stress. And we've got to ask ourselves, are they are these mental problems that we're dealing with here or are they human problems? And, and as soon as you rephrase that, it becomes less like this alienating experience and more just something that everyone is going through, which is absolutely the reality, isn't it? Exactly, and exactly. And what I find in the schools that where, where the staff are doing the best, and by that I mean that they're, um, they're working really well together as a team, that the, the children and students are doing well, the schools and staff and people that are doing best are the ones where they put children at the very centre of everything they do and they, that's their key focus and all of, the, all of the personal things that are happening in people's lives are they're kind of left at the door but they're acknowledged as part of that person. So, um, so they're treated with kindness and compassion and, and people care very much about what's happening for them. But it doesn't kind of weigh them down. But what about for students at peak times of stress, such as exams or personal trauma? It's more about teaching them how to go about, you know, retrieval practice, how to prepare for exams, exam te- tips and techniques, which, you know, my 14-year-old is now getting from his school 
because he's never really had to learn that before. And that's a skill in itself. Mm, Definitely. So kind of almost, you know, some life hacks around actually what the examination period of time is going to feel like and how to yeah. cope. And, and how to look after your own well-being, you know, the importance of sleep, the importance mm. of nutrition, which, you know, when you get to a certain age as an adult, it becomes blatantly clear. Um, but to a teenager, it's not so clear. And it's making them aware of what they can do to look after their own well-being and the exams are important, but how to prepare for that as well. And just digging into some of those projects and initiatives, um, what have you set up and what have you found has really made the impact as well? Okay, for, for students, um, one of the things that we've been working on is um, it's, uh, it's actually part of a citywide project. So all of the secondary providers in the city around about four years ago identified that mental health uh, provision for, for young people in the city um, wasn't really providing what it needed to. Um, so we commissioned a three-year project around mental health and well-being, and this was specifically targeting at um, early intervention. Um, so the the types of things that we um, implemented and sought funding for was to provide um, online counselling for any time for any young people within Plymouth at secondary age level. We also um, provided additional face-to-face counselling um, hours in each school and also provided um, a small amount of time each week for a CAMS worker to be in each secondary school in, in, in the city. Um, that's a project that lasted for three years, just finished at the end of last year, and has been very successful and, and really provided a, a specific need. And what we've been able to do is, is to gain support from the local authority to, to continue that for one more year. Fantastic. Uh, which yeah. is great. And then also gives us the opportunity this year to look at the sort of future succession planning around that. But what's the role of technology in all of this? It appears technology can have a place if implemented properly. I guess society and the time we are in now that you know, presents it's more complications, more problems, um, particularly around technology. So you know, the increased use of social media mm. and the impact of that. Um, and uh, I guess the one benefit of technology is that you can access everything you know, anytime, anywhere. Um, and therefore, the, the sort of, there's a tension around that, isn't there, around workload for both young people and, and staff. And so that's something that you have to then, I guess, develop and support staff to do because it's either, you know, what, what's the, what, 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 what intervention could you do? So, I mean, take some like emails, for example. Mm-hmm. How would you manage your emails? Well, some schools say that they turn the email server off, you know, at seven o'clock of an evening and don't turn it on till nine, nine a.m. the next day. Or types of interventions like that, or we ban emails that, you know, that's like a central point of trying to deal with the problem. Whereas what we've tried to do is, um, I guess, encourage the, the individual to take responsibility and to, to take more control in mm-hmm. how, they, how they work. So across both the staff and the student populace as well, um, is, what do you see the role of technology being in any of this support for uh, you know, mental health and well-being? Interesting question. So um, from the staff point of view, we, we made some conscious decisions about our, kind of our communication strategy across the school. Um, we were a Google school, so we were very much um, modelling the kind of the collaborative way of working online, trying to reduce email threads, trying to reduce attachments, just trying to work in a more kind of efficient way. Like when I talk to people who aren't in education, they can't believe how archaic our systems are in schools. So we tried to very much go paper free. 
and even just things like buying into software and platforms that we use CPOMs for all of our safeguarding login so we don't have to have paper trails and folders so just just I guess working a slightly different way but long term you get payback in the fact that things are a bit more efficient yeah um from a, a like a staff self-care point of view there's um headspace the app you can download for free and our staff got mindfulness training for their own self-care so we promoted things like that regularly from um a child point of view i, I think there's a bit of a, a myth to bust about um technology and children and mental health so there's an assumption that mental health um sorry mental health is fueled by technology and that kids are are in these positions of stress and crisis because of social media and and yes it's part of it it's one of the variables but there's some really interesting research that plays to be have done which actually state from the young people's point of view social media can be one of the solutions to mental health issues as well um, by joining the right groups and following the right role yeah. models and and working with peers online it can actually be a solution so that's something we we did some work with them on, I spoke at um, the Rainston Festival with them about it, with a group of young people. But I do think a lot of schools and parents just say, oh, my child's stressed, I'm going to put their phone away. And that mm-hmm. actually might make their situation worse. And you mentioned EdTech earlier on about, you know, in terms of saving teachers' time. Um, what tools or services are you seeing where technology can actually you know, help to reduce some of these stresses? Anything that I think can save with planning. So, you know, using online tools, Google Docs, Office 365, where teachers can collaborate together in real time. You don't need to be in the same room. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to all be in the same room to do your PPA. You can collaborate together on the same document. You can perhaps take your PPA at home, which will improve your well-being, but the onus isn't on you to complete the planning. So using online tools to collaborate using the kind of flipped classroom approach, so using Google Classroom to prepare things in advance, YouTube videos for the children so that they can either prepare for a lesson beforehand or afterwards. And yes, there's a time element in preparing those in the first place, but once they're done, they can then be built on. And it's not reinventing the wheel. There's lots out there that can help. Social media is brilliant for teachers Mm. sharing their resources um, and learning from each other. So um, one of our most popular products um, at early years is Evidence Me, which was formerly known as To Build a Profile. Um, So an app that can capture the data, you can share with parents. It's had some great updates recently. So if you're taking a photo, blur the other photos. You can then share those reports immediately with parents. So parents can understand how the child is progressing at early years. Um, Another one of our newest products is something called Striver. Mm-hmm. which is all about the growth mindset and it's a PE scheme of work with over 250 lessons but it's also got six well-being units built into it which look specifically at sleep nutrition and yoga and mindfulness so that the teacher can use those to plan and to start teaching children at a very early age the importance of your mental health alongside the physical health and it links in with the um, statutory guidance that's actually obviously from 2020 with a new relationship um, and sexual education guidance that states the importance of mental health um, and that you know if you are off study now you will be looked at both the well-being of the staff and students and that's quite often what's needed unless these things you know 
are expected, then they don't get measured. So, for example, with uh, pretty dismal diversity in higher education leadership, unless it gets sort of stipulated at, at a certain level, you know, quite often it just slides along, doesn't it? Yeah, and it, and it has to come. But also the, the schools have to take their own ownership for it because mm-hmm. well-being is such a word that's used so much now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not one size that fits all. It's about equipping teachers with the time. And, and that's probably the biggest thing that you can do for a teacher's well-being is give them the time and the confidence to do their job. One thing that came out in this podcast episode recording with our guests was the wealth of resources and networks out there. It's not always easy to reach out and make that first contact, but if you're looking for inspiration, here's some final pointers from our guests. I'm researching at the moment uh, a lot around this wellness program that we de- we're developing, and it's and it's really a set of tools, and we're calling them untools, to to get teachers out, uh, teachers and senior leaders out of that place where they don't want to be feeling stressed and overburdened and overworked, into the place where they're feeling that they can work. Um, well and have a happy and sustainable and long career in education and one of the places that I'm um, I'm talking to the ambulance service at the moment because mm. first responders are trained in the tools they need and and they've actually borrowed from MIND you know the mental health charity mm. MIND and they have um, an action plan and so that's a tool that people can download right now it's a, a mental health action plan and it just outlines um, what you need uh, you you might need I don't know 15 minutes at the end of your working day just to decompress to have some quiet time so if you could just put that on your action plan so people know not to bother you at that time that you just need 15 minutes of quiet time just to um, I don't know just sit quietly or get through a bit of work that you need to or have a cup of tea and then after that you can you know come and have a meeting or or, or whatever it is but but I think that um, that mind have got some really great tools and that's one of them yes I mean we use uh, the Goldie Hall Foundation set up a project called uh, mind up um, and that's about we use that as well for children to understand the different parts of their brain so mm understanding what the amygdala will do that fight flight or freeze and we did that because we wanted to children to understand that actually sometimes your response is is quite natural i mean we know as children go through puberty the serotonin and dopamine levels are uneven and that they will make uh, high risk decisions because their brains are pre-programmed to do that Um, and we want children to understand this because in a world where where social media is so strong as well, it's, it really can be detrimental to the well-being. So MindUp has been integral to shaping some of our approaches with that. Um, London Grid for Learning with Dawn have put out some fantastic resources um, and some practical, they're just coming. I know I've seen them, they'll be released very shortly. Mm. Some practical resources on, on what you can do within schools um, and they've continuing to, to run their courses um but share reach out share speak to schools um get the best practice and for me it's it's let's just share with each other okay um so one thing that i would like to mention it was the last thing i completed at um, london good for learning is Mm. a resource called Wellbeing connected so that's wbc.lgfl.org.uk and that's an open access resource for primary schools across the world so they don't have to be an lgfl customer 
but it looks at how you can unpick well-being. And we filmed it with two great schools, Queen's Park Primary in Westminster and Ben Cummins is the head there and Lindsay Killop is deputy. They're both on social media. And then down at Lessness Heath with Kelly Hanahan, who's at Mindwork Matters on Twitter. So the resources, videos, policies, interventions, and then links out to charity. So for teachers, it's the Education Support Partnership, who produce an annual report looking at teachers' well-being, but also are there at the end of the phone if teachers are struggling, and it's a free service. Um, other charities, Charlie Waller Memorial Trust, do great resources and book clubs for teachers. Young Minds is another one. Um, Anna Freud and Mentally Healthy Schools are kind of the big ones for organisations that have a lot of free resources out there to support teachers. People-wise, um, I've mentioned Ben, I've mentioned Kelly, mm-hmm. Pookie Nightsmith, who is on Twitter, but also does a great YouTube channel with very short clips that can be used for teachers for their own CBD, can use in class, can share with parents. Andrew Cowley um, and Adrian Bethuin and Claire Erasmus, all three, those last three have all written books as well, all about mentally healthy schools, as is Pookie. So there's lots out there, actually. Um, and I've kind of tried to limit it to under 10, because otherwise teachers can get lost in the right, yeah. fire that's out there. But I would say definitely those would be my go-to. And all of those websites are actually listed on the Wellbeing Connected resource, um, which also includes book lists, both for early years key stage one key stage two and for staff so a lot of the people I mentioned their books are also there and they're just a downloadable pdf that can be shared with either parents so there's picture books and sort of books for older students that look at anxiety and well-being and then also staff development books so if teachers are looking to build a kind of well-being cpd library um it's just a double-sided pdf that they can go to and look at Fantastic. We love that. We love the kind of book recommendations. So, yeah, yeah. that sounds absolutely great. And then um, at BET, it's Two Symbols 20th year this year. Um, and as a thank you to teachers, we'll also be giving out a free wellbeing pack that teachers can download with tips um, and ideas for themselves, as well as um, some free lessons to use in school as well. Brilliant. Um, I mean, you just got me thinking about uh, when you're talking about anxiety and different things like that about um, you know adverse childhood experiences and then that's like a whole different kettle of fish isn't it it's like um, and and there is a lot I mean the same both in schools and universities now there's a there's a kind of such an expectation on um, playing this additional role of not not just sort of teacher but also all this kind of support services as well which um, it's a huge, huge responsibility. And sometimes, um, you know, pe- people who study um, kind of trauma counselling, that's, you know, years in the making. So it's knowing how to connect to some of those things that you just referenced or on that document. So that's going to be too Yeah, useful. and knowing that there are charities out there that can support both within mm. school and, you know, on a personal level as a teacher that can help. You know, there is this that schools should have a mental health um, designated lead by 2025. Mm. And a lot of uh, boroughs are offering the mental health um, first aid training, which I've done. And I would highly recommend that as well, because Thrive, the Mayor of London's office, are offering London schools there. A lot of boroughs are offering that training um, for schools, both primary and secondary. And it's 
sort of getting in touch with your borough and seeing what supports out there because mm. everybody is stretched. But I think at the heart of every teacher and the reason they went into teaching, and you know, it does sound a little bit cliche at times, but it was to make a difference. And that pastoral role was always there. So when yeah. I started teaching, that was a big part of being a teacher. I just think it's the added emphasis on it now. And it's that, oh, if we call it well-being and mental health, and it's not one size that fits all. Yeah, yeah. You've got to think about what's best for your community. And it's engaging the whole community mm-hmm. because it won't work unless you engage with the parents and the governors. It, it's not just about the teachers and the staff. Absolutely. It's parent workshops, helping them to understand how to help their children. You know, it was a long time since I did my, um, they weren't even GCSEs when I did them, <laughs> um, sort of O-levels and A-levels in university. And yes, I've kept learning throughout my life, but I'm learning and yeah. reading up retrieval practice and, you know, the research and what, how best to support my own children because there's lots out there and it's changed. So it's providing that information for parents as well. So mental health and wellbeing, there's some, there's some really interesting awards you can put towards as a school. So we were the first second school in Oxfordshire to get the Gold Mental Health in Schools Award, which is um, an accreditation that leads back at university run through the Carnegie Centre. It's not a lot of money. It's like 250 quid, um, which I think is really good value. Um, you basically get assigned an external coach. And I know all the people doing the coaching, they're all fantastic educators and massive champions and advocates for mental health and wellbeing. And then you have a kind of a framework to work towards that one of your leaders leads it, but one of your governors has got to be involved. So it's that kind of a, a community stakeholder piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can get bronze, silver or gold. So it's, there's a lot of schools working towards it nationally. Really recommend it. Uh, a contrasting one to that is the Optimus Wellbeing Award. I spoke at the Optimus Wellbeing Conference a few weeks ago. There is a brilliant school in London called Larkness Heath. Um, and their mental health wellbeing lead Kelly and their head teacher Kate are so inspiring. Like I go to a lot of events, and when I heard them speak last week, they are they are the, the most powerful duo I have heard speak about mental health and wellbeing. So they're really worth um, following on social media. And then books. There's so many books. Um, so just some books to shout out. Um, we've got Claire Erasmus has written a book called The Mental Health in Schools Handbook. And she's actually currently writing this a follow-up book, which is about the diary of a designated mental health lead. So that's a really interesting piece of work that she's doing, capturing her role. Um, there's a brilliant wellbeing handbook by Andrew Cowley. Um, and Kat Howard's got a new book coming out in the new year, which is a flip. It's called Let's Stop Talking About Wellbeing. Um, and it's actually sort of like challenging some of the things that schools are doing to put glasses over the cracks. Mm-hmm. So they would be books to um to read and doing joining social media on twitter there's loads of people tweeting and blogging um and the teacher five a day hashtag is massive so if you follow that hashtag you'll find loads of educators to follow who are just talking and sharing about interesting strategies they're using in their schools that's all for this week thanks so much for listening in and huge thank you to all of my guests and Beth for supporting this series Whatever you're doing this festive season, Christmas or not, after another term inspiring minds, we salute you and hope very much you have your feet up somewhere or you're off to do something you love or spend time with or think about people who you very much care for. If you feel overwhelmed, the Education Support Helpline is free and offers confidential emotional support on 08 000 562 561 
or you can go to educationsupport.org.uk. If you'd like to continue the conversation online, use the hashtag EdTechPodcast and Bet2020 or go to the Twitter accounts at PodcastEdTech or at BetShow on all the social medias. Or for all the show notes from this episode, including resource and reading recommendations, it's the EdTechPodcast.com. And finally, for more wellbeing content, check out the Bet2020 programme, which features some of this week's podcast guests. You can go to betshow.com where you can also register for the event in January. Have a great week. My pleasure. Have a great day, Sophie. Thank you so much, Jim. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Sophie. Bye-bye.